0: I don't have hate, I don't have revenge, says the stricken mother of a Christchurch massacre victim who, forg- who forgave the killer. It's from The Guardian on the 24th of August 2020. The article says, her son's bullet-riddled body was sent home to her on Mother's Day. And on Monday, a year and a half later, in a New Zealand courtroom, Jana Ezat came face to face for the first time with the terrorists who murdered her son. Um, Ezat's a delicate, featured with uh, short, dark hair, she had written down what she would say in the courtroom. But when the moment came, she went off script. And she, she looked at the, at the killer in the courtroom and she said, I've decided to forgive you, Mr. Tarrant, because I don't have hate, I don't have revenge. The damage is done. Hussein will, will never be here. Her son Hussein was 35 and he, he died at, at Al Noor Mosque on the 15th of March, 2019. And the, the self-professed uh, white supremacist in the courtroom, he sat uh, blank and impassive, he often listened intently through these proceedings and he returned eye contact when bereaved relatives or survivors would offer it. But at Yana Ezat's words, he appeared for the first time to show a response, uh, blinking rapidly as, as she spoke to him. She said, I've got, I have only one choice to forgive you. She said, looking straight at the gunman, and their eyes met. He nodded his head and uh, Yana Izat's hand shook as she lifted a cup of water to her mouth and Tarrant wiped his cheek with a thumb. And later on her daughter told the guardian that her mother had believed uh, the gunman in that moment had felt something. And it was the only response um, they noticed that he um, offered to any of the victims. And there's another one in the um uh, the news program that I work for, uh, Farid Ahmed. He's a survivor of the mosque terror, terror attacks, and he spoke to us a couple of years ago. And just like Yana is at, he uh, it was forgiveness that made that made headlines. It was his his forgiveness for the killer that made made the headlines. Um, and when when Brenton Tarrant decided to plead guilty after I think he'd initially pleaded not guilty, um, Mr. Ahmed told us on the program that it was a step in the right direction to becoming a better person. Uh, he told us he hoped that this surprise plea would um, serve to show the, the power of praying for those who perpetrate evil against us. The power of praying for those who perpetrate evil against us. He said he prayed for the killer to find the heart to take responsibility for what he'd done. He said, he's realized that he's done the wrong thing and he is admitting that, and that part is the good part. And I must respect that, and I want to encourage him to continue taking the right path, to continue walking on the right path of love and peace, which is good for him and good for everyone else. Um, Mr. uh, Farid's wife, who's Husna, she was shot dead by Tarrant. Um, but he wants, he wants to meet Tarrant and he wants to let him know that he is loved and he's forgiven. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Uh, these stories, they hit the headlines for a reason. They, they, they are famous for a reason. Um, these acts of forgiveness, they, they go against what it feels like, what feels like a more natural response of revenge and retribution or desire for punishment. But then there's also something uh, beautifully God-given about these moments, something beautifully God-given and human and humane about um, these moments of forgiveness. When stories like this hit the headlines, it inspires us all. You just can't help but be inspired by um, stories like this. It gives us hope in the face of what often seems like an angry world. So, this is what I'm talking about today. Forgiveness. It's uh, it's huge, and it's um, it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go at it this morning, but by by no means am I going to um, get very far because forgiveness is. There's so much that we could we could think about and say about forgiveness. Uh, the challenge for me making uh, this message was. Uh, choosing what not to to talk about. It's this. Uh, forgiveness is the central and foundational. It's the it's the be- I think it's the beating heart of of our faith. It's the beating heart of our Christian identity. Um. It's 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 the core of who we are. But then every time I experience forgiveness or I, or I witness moments of forgiveness, especially like what I, I just read about, it actually feels like a miracle as well. It's a, it feels like a miracle because uh, it's a sign that I think that God's spirit is, is alive, that God's spirit is alive and it's moving in what can often look like a pretty harsh world. Um, the monk, Thomas Merton, he might have um, slightly ironically said, uh, God left sin in the world so that there'd be forgiveness. Not only the mysterious forgiveness by which God himself cleanses our souls, but The manifest forgiveness by which we have mercy on one another and so give expression to the fact that God is living by his mercy in our hearts. The manifest forgiveness by which we have mercy on one another and we give expression to the fact that God is living by his mercy in our hearts. So finding forgiveness is, for us, part of living life in all of its fullness. So we're in this series which is about how God nourishes our mental health and our spiritual health. And we've been learning about burnout, fear, grief, depression, and trust. And we're about to learn about a whole lot more things in the coming weeks. Uh, But today, tip of the iceberg, all right? Tip of the iceberg on forgiveness. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those in debt to us. And that's what Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us as we forgive others. In Colossians, in Colossians 3, um, Paul says, Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. (laughs) Amen. Paul says, a similar, things to the, a similar thing to the Ephesians. And in the Gospel of, of Matthew, Jesus famously says, uh, you don't forgive someone seven times, but 70 times seven. Basically, infinitely. He also warns us in that um, part of Matthew, um, if you do not forgive others for their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So it gets pretty serious there. Uh, and when Jesus, of course, is on the cross being mocked, he says, forgive them, Father, For they do not know what they're doing. It's this, forgiveness is this, it's the beating heart of our our story, of the story that we're in. uh, It's the beating heart of God's story for us. The entire gospel, Father Richard Raw says this, the entire gospel reveals the unfolding mystery of forgiveness. It's the beginning, the middle, the end of the gospel's transformative message. So it's something we're all familiar with, but it's really important on, at times like this when we gather to think about what is it exactly that we're talking about? What is, what is forgiveness exactly? Well in the New Testament there are, there are two Greek words that translate to mean forgive. The first is uh, charizomai, and um, Johnny is, uh, studies Greek, so if he is in the room he can correct me, but I think it's charizomai, which is related to the word charis, which means grace. Um, and we might commonly known, know, know the word charisma. It's um, related to this Greek word. So charis means grace. And charizomai is a Greek word which means to forgive. It's the word that's used in that instruction from Paul to the Colossians that I read before. It means to be gracious to each other. And now the second Greek word in the New Testament for forgive is aphiame, aphiame which I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of as well. Uh, it has different uses through the New Testament. Sometimes it means to send away. Sometimes it means to send away. Sometimes it means to let go. And when the word is related to forgiving, it's, it's in regarding, regard to letting go of debts and letting go of trespasses or letting go of sins. So forgiveness for Christians especially is about letting go. It's about, and it's about grace. It's... A gift. It's a gift that is given. It's let go. It's a gift that is given. It's not always earned. It's not always deserved. And this is part of the crazy, weird miracle of forgiveness is that often it's given to someone who might not be repentant. Um, forgiveness, it's interwoven with grace, mercy, with love, and with truth. It's a choice. It's made by someone who's suffered, or it's made by someone who is is owed a debt. And it's their choice to let go of that debt, which is owed to them. It's their choice to let go of their desire for payback or for revenge, to give up the right to retaliate. And of course, it's really important to make sure, make clear that forgiveness is not what society often mistakes it to be. Uh, it's not just shrugging something off. It's not shrugging off a hurt that someone else has caused. It's not saying, oh, it doesn't matter, forget about it. No, it's, um, forgiveness is, is not about making yourself vulnerable. It's not about making yourself vulnerable, vulnerable again to someone who's hurt you. It's, um, it doesn't mean that you have to trust someone who's broken your trust. True forgiveness is is really tough. It takes it takes time, but it shows over and over again to be this incredibly liberating thing. And in our connect groups through the week, there is a video accompaniment to this called "Finding Forgiveness," and um, in that, uh, Belinda Stott talks about how. There, is, um, there are psychological studies, there's research which has shown how forgiveness is linked to improved mental and physical health. So it has a, it has a tangible consequence, say, um, a physiological result. And there's this great book called The Art of Forgiving, um, and the author, uh, Lewis Smead, says... Forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. That's really good, eh? We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. And when we forgive evil, we don't excuse it. We don't tolerate it. We don't smother it, we don't bury it. We look the evil full in the face, we call it what it is. We let its horror shock and stun and enrage us. And only then do we forgive it. Forgiveness is tough. And that's a quick summary of of what forgiveness is, very quick summary. (laughs) But it feels like, as I was preparing this message, it feels like this understanding of forgiveness, this value for forgiveness, is is less popular today. Um, It's less commonly found in society, and that's why it makes headlines, I guess. It's less popular, especially in in, uh, movements for justice that we might have seen. And I I came upon this great um, essay by the Reverend um, Timothy Keller, which I'll be talking about in a moment. Looking back to the 20th century, uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. led the the civil rights movement in the United States with this message of of non-violence and a message of forgiveness of enemies. And years later in South Africa, we saw uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu lead the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa after apartheid. And that gave survivors of violence and oppression and the perpetrators of violence and oppression, it gave them all the opportunity to speak. And it gave the opportunity for reparation. And it was done in a way that didn't shame, and it was done in a way that didn't didn't perpetuate the hatred that had already been alive in that country. It, gave, um, it was a groundbreaking thing and it was a life-changing form of what is called restorative justice. But that, I think the sort of popular cultural hunger for justice that we see in the news today, it's not quite the same. It, it doesn't seem to have as much space for forgiveness. There's, there's a huge push for accountability, which is essential for justice. That's what truth is. Accountability. And there's anger, which, which I believe is right. You know, there's, there's. I think anger is the right response to injustice. What's that thing you say, Lloyd? Um, what makes you mad, sad, and glad? <laughs> As, th- think about what makes you mad, sad, and glad, and that's. Um, where you can figure out um, what you're passionate about. Um, right now I'm talking about this hunger for justice and, and often that involves a sort of an anger. Um, but it seems like there's no real sign of grace in, in, these, um, in some of these justice movements. And it's been captured in this essay by um, the pastor Timothy Keller which he's called The Fading of Forgiveness. He talks about um, the police killings of unarmed African-American people in in recent years and um, he talks about the awful story of of Dylan Roof who was a young white supremacist who killed nine people at a church Bible study in South Carolina a few years ago. And at Roof's trial, the, the family of those who he'd killed, they described their pain and loss. But they told the terrorist that they forgave him just like Yana Isaac did in Christchurch. They told the terrorist that they forgave him. Now, the response from a lot of the the younger generation of protesters was a real anger and frustration. And um, one opinion piece said, our constant forgiveness only perpetuates the cycle of attacks and abuse. And in the wake of... um, Uh, A few years after this, in the wake of of George Floyd's terrible murder by police officers in broad daylight, the the emphasis on on punishment and justice is ever more on the rise. And the, the concept of forgiving these perpetrators of violence seems increasingly problematic to the younger generation. It's a tricky thing, I think, for me personally to talk about because, well, first of all, I'm not an American, but also um, I'm very aware that I'm speaking from a place of incredible privilege, especially as, um, you know, a middle-class white male in a very safe democracy. I've never uh, had to be afraid of a cop. But it is noticeable that um, this... this... um space for forgiveness is, is lacking. On the one hand, the, the justice movements that we see in the US in the news, especially Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, they express this really important righteous frustration at the ongoing abuse of power. And that's whether it's in the police force or in the, the powerful in Hollywood. But um, Timothy Keller in New York, he, he argues that these movements, they won't find true justice, The real tough True justice that I was describing before, unless there is forgiveness. He says a modern practice of forgiveness is being pushed out by a rising shame and honour culture that some have called a a new secular religion. It sweeps away the very concept of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is seen now as radically unjust and impractical. And Personally, for me, it doesn't take much scrolling through, through Twitter to see this kind of merciless, competitive morality in action. And on a similar note, um, here in Aotearoa, there's, we often see playing out in the media this tension between a part of society's desire for, for a more punitive justice system, and that's up against a, a desire for a system that's more restorative, for everybody, for all sides, victims and perpetrators. Uh, A few years ago in the paper, the former boss, the former CEO of Naitahu, wrote, Our justice system is one built on forgiveness. Our justice system is one built on forgiveness. And the notion that a penalty imposed for a crime committed can be served, and then depending on that sentence, the perpetrator has a degree of freedom and the human rights are reinstated. Admittedly, it has its flaws, but I do not believe that outrage from a few and exaggerated media attention attempting to create accountability should encourage us to undermine what we currently have. Back then, when he was writing, that New Zealand's prison population was the second highest in the OECD, the population rate, I should say, per capita, uh, only behind the US. And... Stats show, I'm not sure what they are today, but stats still show that more than half of those in prison in Māori. Is that true justice? I don't think so. Forgiveness is this powerful gift that we have. And uh, in the face of a, a punitive society, I think, the church has this really exciting thing. We can, we can show what true justice is. Desmond Tutu, who I mentioned before, wrote this famous book called No Future Without Forgiveness. And in there he said, to forgive is indeed the best form of self-interest since anger, resentment, revenge are corrosive to the greatest good, which is communal harmony. Communal harmony that enhances the humanity and personhood of all in the community. And isn't that true? I mean, have you ever held a grudge? It doesn't make you feel that much better, does it? So how do we as a church, as a community here in Auckland, how do we, how do we practice forgiveness? How can we, how can we show grace and bring grace to the world around us? Uh, it's a big question and I'm not really going to answer it. I'll do my best. I just think we're so lucky to have, first of all, to um, reflect, just reflecting quickly on what Anne was saying in communion about how we, 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 we can, we rest in the, in the incredible grace of um, Jesus' death and resurrection. I think, yeah, that's, that's, I feel so lucky that that's a place where we can start, that's where forgiveness starts for us, knowing that we've been forgiven. It's something that starts it comes through prayer and it comes through, through community. Forgiveness comes through being together like this, through interacting. It comes through the practice of prayer, and it comes through understanding that, that we need each other. Forgiveness is not, firstly, something you feel. It's not an emotion. Forgiveness is granted because uh, it's granted before it's experienced. Forgiveness is practiced before it's felt. It's not felt before it's practiced. Forgiveness is tough. Forgiveness is three things. It's upward, it's inward, and it's outward. Upward. We live only by God's free forgiveness through Jesus' incarnation, His death and resurrection for the world. We, we can forgive because we know what it means to be forgiven. And forgiveness is, is inward. We give, our, we give up our selfish desire to get even. We give up our selfish desire to get even when we have been wronged. And to forgive is to give the perpetrator a gift that they do not in any way deserve. We deny ourselves the right to revenge and gradually, I'm just going to emphasize gradually here, we gradually become free of that bitterness that we might be carrying. And often we need to forgive ourselves. Um, you know, personally, I feel like every day I say or do something stupid and um, I hold on too tightly to those moments and those regrets. Um, and even if I've been forgiven, it's still... Sometimes these these things still stick with me and um, I think that shows that we have to have a healthy practice of of standing in God's grace and forgiving ourselves. Uh, the theologian Miroslav wolf in his book, he, another incredible book, uh, Exclusion and Embrace, he says, we need to forgive those hurts of our past so that we can have hope for the future. Forgiveness is inward. And forgiveness is outward. It's The ultimate goal of forgiveness is... Uh, reconciled relationships. Um, But it can't really be done without repentance. Um, Tim Keller says, we must never give up on each other or on the supernatural potential of Christian community. Jesus has brought all of us incompatibles together. What brings us together? We're all We all come from very different backgrounds and very different places, but it's our mutual love for God and our mutual love for one another. That's what brings us together. And our mutual love for one another is how the world will see who Jesus is. So I've been rambling on about forgiveness for a while, but I just want to finish by going back to some moments in the Gospels in Matthew chapter eighteen, um, Jesus he just after Jesus tells the disciples that they must forgive not seven times but seventy times seven, he tells this really quite scary parable, um, which I'm sure we all know of the unmerciful servant who is forgiven a debt, forgiven a debt by the master, but then goes and refuses to forgive another servant who owes him money, and when the master finds out the servant is thrown in jail to be tortured until he can pay back all that he owes. So, obviously Jesus is very, very serious that we should forgive each other. And he's so serious about forgiveness that he, he took the sin of the world on the cross so that we could, we could have relationship with him. Um, it's like that old song says that we used to always sing. He paid the price that we could not afford. But there's another moment that I just want to finish with today. It's in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus is in a house with a gathering and a paralyzed man is lowered through the roof by his friends so that he can be healed. It's something um, that Johnny talked about a few weeks ago and I really encourage you to listen back in the podcast. It's from Mark chapter 2. This paralyzed man is lowered through the roof by his friends, and when Jesus saw their faith, it says in Mark two, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven." He doesn't say, be healed." He doesn't say, um, "He doesn't say, you know, have you repented? Are you sorry for? You know, do you? Um, what do you want? He doesn't even ask what you want. He just says. Your sins are forgiven. And in this moment, this man's whole self is being healed. We might have thought that he was just there for his, his body to be healed, but in this moment, his whole self, his spirit and his body is being healed. He, he hasn't said anything. He's just been lowered through the roof. And we think that all he wants to do is um, take up his mat and walk. But Jesus, like with all of us, sees a deeper need. He sees a hunger for forgiveness. You know, we might go to to God with surface level prayers, desires or hopes. Even though they might seem so important to us but often he will see into our hearts and he'll see a deeper need and instead of simply giving us what we think we need he's so eager to be in relationship with us that he catches us with his grace, and and just like the paralyzed man, uh, we might not have realized it, but we, we needed forgiveness in some corner of our heart. Jesus shocks us into love. God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. And that's what I want to finish on this morning. God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change.